Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So many younger drivers in the Cup Series last year. And with no more Dale Warner Jr., Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, there was Carl Edwards, there was Jeff a perceived Burton. Jeff Burton. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perceived lack lack of star power. Yeah, I mean, ever since 2013, there's been a it's, void. It's beyond a hill. I, it's, it's clearly. I... Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host Nate Ryan. Today, here back at the NBC Sports Charlotte NASCAR America studios, where I am joined for a preseason 2019 NASCAR discussion. With the mayor, Jeff Burton. Thanks for being here. What's happening? You good? I'm good. You know, I was just thinking, the mayor. Boyer come up with that? Yeah, that was Boyer. He, he. Uh, there's a lot of things in my life that Boyer contributed to that I regret, and that's one of them. <laughs> 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 okay. I always wondered if you like that tag or not. I you know, I, I yes and no. I, I you know, <laughs> it's cool sometimes, and uh, other times it's used against me in, in a bad way. So <laughs> it's not a great time to be. A politician, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps not the moniker you want to have hanging on you if you're in Washington. But if you're in NASCAR, Clint Boyer bestowed that upon you, Jeff, because of your views on many things. And so we talked a few weeks ago about maybe getting together and talking about state of NASCAR 2019. Season starts here in a couple of weeks. Where things stand going into this year, there was a big discussion about drivers bringing sponsorship to get rides. And it was interesting because when you and I first talked about this, it was in December. It was right after Brett Moffitt was announced that he wasn't coming back to Hattori Racing because right. somebody else was going to be bringing a little money. And there was all this outcry about, what's this about? The defending Truck Series champion isn't going to have a ride. And now, as we sit here about oh, a month later, five weeks later, the discussion has changed to Brett Moffitt got Johnny Sauter's ride right. and <laughs> at GMS Racing. And the question now becomes, what happens to Johnny Sauter? You know, how is that fair? Like, it's it's interesting to me how the debate has shifted with the same players involved. And yet, I don't know if... I think when we talked about it, has this debate remained constant in some ways? I mean, is this a new thing? Or is this truly something that's always been a part of NASCAR? It's always been a part of NASCAR. I think it's more prevalent now than it has been. But if you go back and you think about, and that we're talk, we're talking about in Xfinity and in trucks. I mean, that's the level we're talking about. There's there's not many people at the Cup level that are buying their rides, right? There's not many people, not many drivers that are bringing all the sponsorship and making that happen. These tend to happen more in the lower levels. It's always been that way at late model racing, at dirt racing, at at you know the lower levels, and it's creeping up the ladder. Uh, and the reason it's keep creeping up the ladder is because of the expense, uh, because we have, you know, it's no sense in hiding from it. We have less people watching on TV and sitting in the seats today than we did uh, 15 years ago, right? That's, everybody knows that. So that creates an opportunity for, you know, you have less people watching. You have uh, the, the accelerating cost 
so it starts to limit the number of corporate partners that feel like they're getting the benefit they want to get. So that opens the door for private funding, let's say. And it opens the door for people that come in to uh, that can obtain sponsorship. Or, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that I think is misrepresented in all this is that just because you bring a sponsor doesn't mean that you're a rich kid with rich parents. There's a major distinction, okay? So Jack Ingram owned his own race team. He drove for himself. He's in the Hall of Fame. Was he a rich kid that bought his own ride because nobody else would, would, would have him? Was Tommy Houston? Because he drove for himself. There's all these incidences of people that have brought sponsorship to programs mm-hmm. uh, that have been successful. Tyler Reddick won the Xfinity Championship this year. He brought sponsorship to junior motorsports. So, <laughs> There's one that is never talked about. Yeah, like it's, well, well God, he's just a great driver. It's not yeah. that, you know, he, he was able to obtain sponsorship. So everyone has to have someone that believes in them. In some cases, it can be your dad. In some cases, it could be your uncle, your grandfather, your, your mother that can help you financially. In other cases, you have a relationship with a corporation. They believe in you. They believe in the sport. They make an investment, or it could be a car owner that says, you know what, I've got a, I have a sponsor. I want you to drive my car. It can happen anyway. So talent ultimately wins out. You know, money will provide an opportunity, but you bringing money provides that opportunity. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee success. Mm-hmm. You take a guy like Tyler Reddick that came in that, that helped provide funding. There's many, many drivers that are having success today that brought funding, that are still capable drivers, just because you're able to bring funding from a corporation, that does not mean that you can't drive a race car. And I think that we've overgeneralized the fact of a young driver being able to bring a sponsor. The optics, obviously, are different when you're talking about, in Moffitt, defending series champion, when you're talking about Sauter, former truck series champion does that change the equation i mean should you well so so i got a question so if brett moffitt lost his ride because he couldn't bring money how did he get his current ride because he did bring money (laughs) that's a great question i've asked the same thing he's from what i've been told he is bringing a little bit of money with him to gms and that was one of the reasons but it wasn't enough but it wasn't enough right for hattori for him to stay at hattori so there's more to the equation you know we've seen driver changes before we've seen a car owner say, you know, I've got this really good driver, but I think this guy can do a better job. Is it not more of that? I don't know. I don't know the details, but I just, there's, there's something doesn't make sense when you say, well, golly, I can't bring the funding to keep my ride, you know, and everybody feels bad for me. Then the next, next message is, hey, he brought money, so he gets his ride. Like, there, you mm-hmm. know, something's not right, right, right? It doesn't add up. Right. So to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you are looking for... The fact that a driver is bringing sponsorship and that's the only reason he has a ride, you can find a lot of examples of it. And I think this is a good example of everybody just assuming that that he and some messaging that came out, right, some, from someone that wanted th- the message that came out that he was buying his ride, and that may not be the facts. If Johnny Sauter doesn't start the 2019 season with a ride, and as of right now as we sit here recording this on January 18th, we don't think he has one, is that a really bad sign? Or is this a guy who has had a really good run, and sometimes this is what happens, veterans get priced out or left out in the cold? This, the truck series needs Johnny Sauters. Johnny Sauter is, is someone that will let you know whether or not the young drivers can get it done. 
Uh, Johnny Sauter is a fierce competitor. Uh, he is perfect, in my opinion, for that truck series. Uh, it would be a shame for him not to be in the truck series, but it wouldn't be unheard of for a good race car driver toward the end of his career not to have a ride. You know, it's happened to a lot of us. And the difference being, Johnny Sauter was winning races. He was winning races last year. Uh, went to Homestead with a chance to win, you know, with a shot uh, to win a championship. So that's a big difference. And, uh, yeah, it would be disappointing for sure. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You would hope that the series would be strong enough so that if, you know, Brett Moffitt was hired we think you long-term can do a better job, so we're going to hire you. Johnny Sauter, a guy that was contending for the championship last year, now he's looking for a ride. You would hope that there was enough depth in the truck series for him to find a place to be. Uh, and currently, that's just simply not the case. And some of this is a value play for the team when they look at, we can get the defending series champion who's 26 years old and brings a little bit of money versus a guy who is 40 and has done really well for us, but brings no money. Uh, if you're looking at weighing, you know, long-term potential, it, it seems like one of those is weightier. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. And, yeah. the, and, and car owners make those decisions. You know, they make those decisions all the time. Joe Gibbs did not let Joey Logano go and hire Matt Kenseth because Matt Kenseth brought money. They made a decision that they thought Matt Kenseth gave them a better shot to perform at a higher level then Joey Logano. And Joey Logano said, okay, I'll go win a championship at Penske. <laughs> you know, so, so, <laughs> Much you to know, Coach Joe's chagrin, yes. And we've seen it in every sport, you yep. know, every sport. You know, we just hear locally the, you know, one of the most beloved players for the Panthers, Thomas Davis, toward the end of his career was let go. He still has playing time left in him. He still is performing at a high level. This organization decided to let him go because big picture, they think it's in their best interest. You know, so those decisions are made in every sport. There's been some talk, Jeff, in some circles about how maybe part of the problem here is that rather than investing in young drivers to build long-term success for their teams, teams instead are trying to showcase for drivers who bring sponsorship that, hey, this is a way you can come and bring your sponsorship here. It's like they're trying to sell their program to funded drivers yeah. or those from rich backing rather than trying to sell drivers yeah. on the program. Do you, you have any thoughts well, on that? So if, if you own a truck team, if you own an Xfinity team, and your marketing department, sales department cannot procure a sponsorship, and you have the opportunity to obtain sponsorship through outside sources that comes with the driver, what are you to do? Say, no, I don't want you because you have a sponsor. I'm going to go get my own. So you look at what that team in particular, GMS, is doing. They bring in Brett Moffitt, supposedly by reports, you're telling me, may have brought a little money. They bring in Sheldon Creed, ARCA champion, just won a championship last year. Pretty sure he brought money, right? right? You know, so what's wrong with that? You know, they're not bringing people in that are not having success. They're not bringing in, you know. So the key is the best teams – are able to look at that, and they're able to say, okay, this guy has some funding, and he can drive. So that's a great, uh, that's a great relationship. Like, mm -hmm. they can help my company, and we think he can win races. And there's two examples in that one team. And I can go through many truck teams and Xfinity teams that give the same example. With Tyler Reddick. You know, Tyler Reddick brought funding to Junior Motorsports. He brought funding, funding to RCR. 
He won the Xfinity Championship. Just because you can bring funding doesn't mean you're a bad driver, nor does it mean that you're a good driver. Mm-hmm. There are people that have that have been in rides that are not as good as their peers, and they're in that ride because they have money. There's no question that there's a, that there are those examples, but there's not many examples of those people moving up the ladder at an accelerated pace and getting all the way to the top. There's a few, but there's not many examples of that. In a perfect world, should auto racing be completely merit-based? Should it not? Everything should. Everything should be. (laughs) But it's not. And part of that, as we talked at the outset, part of that is the current economic state of NASCAR and teams. So so it becomes more difficult in the lower levels. Because how do you determine who's capable? You're going to have some failures. You're going to... What are the merits that determine... Okay, you're ready to run trucks. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're ready to run Xfinity. What are those merits? I mean, Daniel Hemrick hadn't won a truck race, hadn't won an Xfinity race, and he's got a cup program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't always look at numbers. And, and, and Richard Childers believes that Daniel Hemrick can do it, or he wouldn't be in that car. How you determine who you think can win races for you, that's an individual thing. And and take Jack Roush, for example. Look at his career and who he's, how he built that program. He built it by bringing drivers in that, in many cases, no one else wanted. He, they wanted them after he had them. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So how you determine who's good and who's not, that's an individual thing. That, that, um, you know, that scouting process that goes on, some of that's real seat of the pants. I've been around Richard Childress and Jack Roush and seeing the quick assumptions that they come to, that guy can't do it, I can't do it, for the most part, they were right. And, uh, but that's, a, that's an instinctive thing. And in, in best-case scenario for them, they're bringing people into their companies that can bring funding but also can drive the race cars. The only example I can think of in recent memory in terms of a driver who advanced solely because of talent, solely because he brought no money, and he went and talked to a lot of cup teams seven years ago, and only one said yes, Chip Ganassi. Kyle Larson is the only guy I can think of. And he seems what to be... What about Christopher Bell? Christopher Bell would probably be next on that list. And, and I'd have to pull my driver list. I bet I could pull some more up. But I, th- I have to pull my driver list. I up. think it's interesting because Bell, he said this on a podcast we did this year, Bell has said that he's a result of Larson. That Toyota pretty much backed him because they saw what happened with Larson and they didn't want that to happen again. But, I mean, to your earlier point, like a Larson only comes... Th- those are generational talents that... I mean, there's only a couple of those every decade, right? Those are really distinct. Beyond that, it's probably hard to discern who deserves it and who doesn't so right? do, so do you think bill elliott paid for chase elliott to get himself <laughs> all the way to cup bill elliott certainly had a role in putting chase elliott in some, some you rides, think he was paying right? rick hendrick hundreds you think he was paying rick hendrick four million dollars <laughs> to put him in a he, car? he definitely did not put chase elliott in how about ryan blaney do you think, do you think no. that no you know so no. i mean so did now was bill elliott there when and supporting him and right. was and was he was he in a position to help him in his late model career and his go-kart career and all those things? The same with Ryan and, and uh, Dave. Were they there at the beginning to help? Without a doubt. Right. Or, and and right. did they spend some money on their children to help? Yeah, I no mean, question. Super late model level, you have to do it, no, right? You yeah. have to do it. I mean, who, yeah. who is going to sponsor, you know, for enough money that it takes to run a super late model? Like, how often does that happen? Yeah, they were there at that level, but they had to prove they could do it. My dad paid for me to race late model socks, paid for me to race go-karts. My dad and, and I, with his money, started the first uh, Xfinity 
race I ever ran. He paid for, we had some sponsorship that helped us a great deal, but he made up the difference at the beginning of my Xfinity career. So, but no one looks back and says, well, Jeff Burton made it because his dad. I mean, I never, I heard that when I was 19, <laughs> but at 51, no one ever says that. <laughs> right. So here's, a, right. so here's me, all right? So I see both sides of it. Here's me who, because my father and his connections with local companies that yeah. were willing to help because of that relationship, I ran late models, I won races, I showed I could compete, I, we built an Xfinity team, uh, my second year in full-time Xfinity, I won driving for Sam Ard, but that was partially funded through my father, and then the third year, I got hired to drive for someone, but had a sponsor that believed in me and believed in a program we put together that made that happen, so I'm the result of my father helping me. I'm a result of a sponsor believing me and putting a program together that worked. And then now, miraculously, I'm the driver <laughs> that was making money driving a race car. Without that help, I'm not there. Sure. Like, and I'm damn sure not here today. So, but no one ever says to me at 51, well, you're a result because you're a rich kid that his dad happened to have money. Maybe if Twitter had been around in the 90s oh, and yeah, 2000s, it would have been different. Thank God not. I, I guess that's so, my point. Is The debate and discussions have been spawned by Moffat, Sauter, and everything yeah. involving that. It, there's been a constant here in, in this. This is nothing new. Yeah. And and uh, I lost that Xfinity ride, by the way, <laughs> at the end of a year in which the sponsor wasn't coming back. And there was someone that had a sponsor that could come in fill my role, drive the race car, and I'm out because he had a sponsor and I didn't. And it's a guy that we all know that I raced against forever that won cup races. No one ever says, well, you were just, you know, this, you know, you didn't belong to be here because it's the way of the world, man. I lost my sponsor and he had one and I lost my ride. <laughs> I mean, that was in... <laughs> That was in God. That was a long time ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but that's not to say, as I am not in any way saying that uh, the conditions today, the expense to do it, has driven corporations away, has driven them looking to other opportunities. How else can we be involved in a sport? The sport's still a very effective, still a very effective way to be to market. It's still a very effective way to do it. But it's, it's changed the dynamic. And how, why are they here? How are they here? What are they doing when they get here? The elevating cost to run a truck program or to run an Xfinity program is a major issue that is contributing to the things we're talking about right now today. But it's not a new conversation by any means. want to get to that NASCAR being in transition financially and certainly looking at new things for its team business model and, and sponsorship. But first, just want to put a bow on the driver discussion. Last year, a lot of talk about how young drivers are marketed. And there was clearly a push from NASCAR with so many younger drivers in the Cup Series last year. And with no more Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, there was... Carl Edwards, there was Jeff a perceived Burton. Jeff Burton. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perceived lack lack of star power. Yeah, I mean, ever since 2013, there's been a it's, boy. It's beyond a hill. I mean, <laughs> it's clearly, I mean. you, you. I know you have some thoughts on this. 
there, there was some pushback, I think, from veterans last year about was NASCAR trying too hard to create heroes, yes. anoint stars. They were right. They were right. In the first half of 2018, that happened. Stars create themselves. We as an industry need to market the drivers because people go to the racetrack to watch the drivers. Uh, the drivers are the cornerstone of this sport. Now, they have to have car owners. The, from a business structure, right, you have these two, you have these two different things. If I, if I said, okay, all the people that truly 100% want to be a cup car owner, y'all line up at the door, there'd be maybe four people. <laughs> if I said, okay, all the people that want to be cup drivers line up at the door, there's, they're, they're lined up from here to Monroe, right? I mean, they're <laughs> – right. so from a business standpoint, we have to have racetracks and we have to have car owners. But from a emotion standpoint and a – and a enthusiasm standpoint, it's about the drivers. It just is, man. I mean, you, you know, I, no disrespect to Rick Hendrick, but there's not a lot of people running around with Rick Hendrick shirts on. They're running around with Chase Elliott shirts on, who just happens to drive for Rick Hendrick. So that's just how it is. The, the greatest thing that our sport has is our drivers, their will to compete, their, their enthusiasm, their different personalities. Man, that's what we have. That's what our sport's built around. And that's, in my opinion, that's never going to change. If it does, we're in big trouble. So we have to market our drivers. When I say market our drivers, what I mean is that we have to show the fans who they really are. We have to be able to put those drivers in front of the fans, in person as well as on TV. We have to have that interaction. That's what makes our sport work. Clearly, that's what makes our sport work. When you start to push a particular group of drivers based on we think this is our future, there's a danger in that because there's a present. And you can't build heroes. Heroes build themselves. Success is what people want. So are we, do we need fans to be able to pick up a new driver? When Tony Stewart leaves, hell yes. That is one of the difficult things about our sport. If you're a Green Bay Packer fan, okay, whoever is behind the center throwing the football, he's your guy. But you're always going to pull for the Green Bay Packers. That's your team, man. I'm going to pull for the Green Bay Packers. Now, I don't like that quarterback as much as I did that one, but he's my guy. When you are a Tony Stewart fan and he leaves – are you going to turn around and pull for a guy that you were rooting against last year? No. We have to have an outlet. We have to have a place for the Tony Stewart fan to go pull for Chase Elliott or Ryan Blaney or Daniel Suarez. We have to have that. But that has to happen organically. That has to happen by itself. We, at the same time, exposing those drivers to the fans and letting them get to know them, that certainly helps. But... The sport can't build them into heroes. They build themselves into heroes. They have to beat Kevin Harvey. They have to beat Kyle Busch. They have to beat Joey Logano, Martin Truex. They beat those guys, and that makes them heroes. But you can make them likable, or you can make them where people don't like them, you know what I mean, by exposing them to the fans. It's not NASCAR's job. It's not NBC's job. It's not Fox's job to represent a driver as a certain thing, right? It's our job to expose who that driver is to the fans so they can get to know them and get to like them or not like them. 
Because, you know, I know in today's world it's not politically correct not to like somebody and express it, but damn it, that's sports. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now today that I would I am pulling completely against the New England Patriots. <laughs> and if that's politically hurt. incorrect, I don't care because <laughs> that's what sports are about yeah. is I want them to lose. I want Carolina, I want the Tar Heels to get, get beat by 30 tomorrow night, <laughs> and I'm going to call my Tar Heel fans and mess with them about it. <laughs> that's what sports are about, man. you got to – you gotta be willing to. You gotta pull against somebody as much as you're pulling for somebody. And that had to be ugly, right. right? I don't want somebody to get. I don't want a Tar Heel player to get hurt. I don't want a Tar Heel player to, you know, when all that scandal was going on with their education and you know were they skipping class and all that was horrible. Like I, I don't want. I don't want that. I just want them to lose competitively. So you have to by exposing the drivers to to the fans, they're gonna like them or not like them, and that's great. That's what it's about. But it's so drivers responsibility to be who they are it's right. our responsibility and nascar's responsibility to present them and then it's the driver's responsibility and their team to, to to be successful or not and then when that opportunity arises i think last year part of the issue was so much of the regular season was kevin harvick kyle bush martin Truex jr winning yeah and obviously <laughs> jace elliott ryan blaney eric jones alex not Bowman, <laughs> not winning <laughs> <fumble loss. laughs> you can pick whoever you want they weren't winning but then when somebody finally did break through eric jones at daytona to some degree yep. you know he beat truex on that final restart but to me the real big one was uh, to your point jeff that that really illustrates it is chase elliott drives maybe the race of his life at watkins Glen. Beats Martin Truex Jr. heads up on those final 10 laps, and it rode itself. I mean, rode we itself. didn't have to do much. We had already explained who Chase Elliott was, yep. and then when he beat one of those guys head-to-head, it's there it is. And he took it to him. Right. Like, he, Martin Truex gave him everything he had. One of the best races of the year. One of the best races for sure. Martin Truex gave him everything he had, and on that day, Chase Elliott said, you know what? I've made some mistakes in the past, lost some races. I ain't doing this one. You know what I mean? And he pulled it out. And... His failures made it that much greater. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he failed, the fact that he was in position to win so many times later and have a bad restart, have something happen, and he would come out and say, I suck. Right. <laughs> I mean, Maybe you know, too much. I mean, yeah. Chase Elliott would come out and say, <laughs> yeah. I just suck. I let everybody down. So now people know Chase Elliott because of what was happening on the track. He was having failures. He was disappointed in himself. He was telling everybody that would listen, I'm the weak link. And then on that day, no, I won this damn race. Like, right. I took it. I took it from him. You know, I took it from the guy that's won three road courses in a row. I took it from the guy that just won a championship. I took it from him. I mean, that's what builds heroes. That's how it has to happen. It has to happen, happen organically, and it has to be, you know, it has to be like that. And people connected with Chase Elliott. Not because he was winning races. They connected with him because, in many cases, he wasn't winning races. And they connected with him because they saw the talent in the truck series, Xfinity series. They saw what he did in the late models. They knew his dad. All that stuff. And it all came together on that day. And, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot more of the story that's yet to come. So, but that has to happen. That has to happen naturally. And as you said, leading up to that point, you have to have these drivers tell us who they are, what they're about. Yeah. You have a son who's racing, Harrison Burton. He put out a video uh, a couple of weeks ago that I thought was well-received on social. Just, I don't even know how long it was, a minute long maybe? Uh, yep. And it's just him growing up around the racetrack, around you, and hey, I'm Harrison Burton. Here's who I am. What was the inspiration for that? And is that something maybe drivers should be doing more of? Well, uh, he and his sister 
are, you know, they're they're fortunately for Kim and I, they're really close, and and uh, they have been kicking around all these ideas, and they hear me complaining about <laughs> stuff <laughs> to Kim, <laughs> and so um, I'd like to think I influenced that a little bit, but uh-huh. but you know, the fact of the matter is that they, you know, they just they have all these ideas about um, the sport, about social media about television about print media they have at 18 and 23 they've been around the sport their whole lives Uh, my daughter never wanted to drive but as she's gotten older she's become way interested in the like how this sport is viewed and and they so they're like you know harrison's like you know i i everybody knows me because of you I want them to know me because of me. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. so they, yeah. they, you know, they collaborated and came up with this thing, and they, they're getting ready to do another one here in the near future. You and I have sat in several meetings talking about, you know, what young people want, how to get more young people involved in a sport, and, and none of those meetings have been any young people. That's a good point. <laughs> that's, that's a really good so, point. Probably the minimum so, age has been mid thirties. <laughs> that's so, a good point. Yeah. So here's an eighteen year old and a twenty three yeah. year old that are way more understanding of what young people are doing today and it's just Harrison being Harrison and yeah. his sister helping him and that's really what it is. When you talk about they hear you complain, is that kind of what you're saying? You're like, We need to make sure that those personalities get out there and how yes. do we do it? And they yes. said, Here's I, the way we do it. I think that when I hear so when I hear um we don't have any personalities in the sport. I just find that ridiculous. I really do. I, I think I think that whole conversation is so ridiculously overblown. You know, when Richard when when, when Kel Yarborough and the Allisons fought at Daytona, for everybody that's listening, do, do y'all realize they were fined? <laughs> y'all realize they were penalized? They were fined and penalized. It's, it's just, everybody remember that part of the story. <laughs> So I hear this narrative that NASCAR doesn't let the drivers be who they are. But when I go back and I look at the history of the sport, there were more fines and penalties and rules in regard to driver actions than ever than it is now by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, Marcus Ambrose hit. <laughs> I'm not talking like me, Jeff Gordon, pushing each other on the back straightaway. I'm talking about, you know... <laughs> <laughs> unloaded on Casey Mears, what was the penalty? Nothing. What no. did they do to Kyle Busch? Right, right. Nothing. Him and Joey Logano Nothing. on pit road. Right. I mean, it's a ridiculous comment, and it's based off of perception, not fact. So this thing about drivers not having personalities is, you know, I think it's completely overblown. I think it's, a, I, I think it's the, middle, the smallest part of the issues that we have. There's more opportunities to show that personality. And by the way, not everybody was not everybody was Kel Yarborough. Right. I mean, not everybody's personality was his. Not everybody's personalities was David Pearson's. I mean, it wasn't. We we had people that Richard Petty. Richard Petty wasn't any other Richard Petty didn't wreck people to win races. Richard Petty didn't get out and boast about how great he was. Richard Petty he was one of the coolest calmest clean drivers he's the king man like you know what i mean not everybody's going to be you know an outgoing just really uh bold dynamic personality you know all these different personalities we have in the sport i mean there's plenty of personalities and i hear the complaint a lot that 
Kale Yarborough or, you know, Harry Gant. Those guys had that blue collar mentality and they're more relatable because of that. And I think, well, oh, there's something to that. But that's fair. That's it's, fair. It's fair. But what I'm, I'm coming around to think is somebody from your son's generation, they, they grew up in a completely different they're era. athletes. Yeah. <laughs> we can't so make them be the guys who roofed houses and then yes. won on weekends, so, right? So, so, so no disrespect to anyone because yeah. I, I truly believe this. There's... There's people that won championships in the modern era that couldn't want a race then, and vice versa. There's people that won championships then that couldn't win a race driving these cars. It's, it's different. It's, it's a different type of vehicle. It's a different – the driver's role is different. And by the way, not every driver knew – what springs were in their cars in 1985? I promise you. <laughs> Not a, I trust Just me. Mark Martin. Trust me. <laughs> well, he still remembers what they were. <laughs> yeah. So, so today, we've talked about this for years. Are drivers really athletes? It's ridiculous. Also, in my opinion, you know, as mm -hmm. a driver and athlete, it's a ridiculous conversation. But people want to have it. So that's what drivers are today. They yeah. are more. They train like athletes. They study like athletes. They prepare like athletes. They watch film like athletes. It, they have coaches like athletes. That has changed. And does that make them less relatable to some people? Yeah. It also should make them more relatable to some people. Some people that, are, are, that love sports, that would make that guy more relatable to that person. So, you know, yes, you know, my son, being 18 years old, is a good example. You know, he's a senior in high school. You know, you hear these stories about, you know, the, the gymnasts that, you know, or the swimmers. They get up in the morning and swim. They go to school. They, they go back to the pool. They work. They come home at 9 o'clock at night. They do, their home, they do their homework. They go to sleep at 11. They get up and do it again the next day. Well, that's my son. That's what his life is. Does that make him less relatable to a guy that would be 30 years old that uh, works, you know, changing tires at an auto repair store and then races on the weekend, does that make him less relatable to some people? Yeah. But it makes him more relatable to a whole group of young people. You know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to judge that, but clearly, clearly, the role of a race car driver today is completely different than it was 25, 30 years ago. There is no doubt about that. If you're doing it correctly today. So that wraps up part one of our State of NASCAR 2019 podcast with Jeff Burton. Stay tuned next Wednesday when we will have part two, which will touch on the economics of NASCAR, the health of the team business model, the outlook for the new rules of the 2019 season that will mean lower horsepower and higher downforce, the chances of a short track revival with the chatter around Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway possibly making a return to a NASCAR National Series, and what's ahead for the 2020 schedule. This was a 90-plus minutes discussion over two parts, so our many thanks to the mayor, Jeff Burton, for giving us so much of his time, and I hope you're enjoying his insight. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, I want to say a big thanks to all of you who left reviews on Apple Podcasts after I shamelessly begged for them the past two episodes. Those reviews are much appreciated. And also sincere gratitude for the kind words for the two-part series on the Earnhardts racing the 2001 Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona.
I got a lot of positive feedback for those episodes, which really meant a lot because so much time and effort went into them, and I thought they turned out well, but it was extremely validating to hear that from the people who matter the most. That's you, the listeners. So thanks. If you have any feedback, as always, you can send to me on Twitter, at NateRyan is my handle. Again, next week we'll have part two of our State of NASCAR 2019 with Jeff Burton. And on Wednesday, February 13th, there'll be a new episode with Austin Dillon, defending winner of the Daytona 500. We just recorded that this week, and I think you're going to enjoy that conversation as well. So there is much to come. But in the meantime, thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.